Hello and welcome to Connected, the business post technology podcast brought to you in association with Dell Technologies Ireland. I am at Ryan and well, you know, we're not really getting out much and that means some things we do are a bit more limited or harder to do. But one person who came across my radar just before Christmas there and dropped me a device to just help do one thing is Don Stack. He is today's guest. He is the founder and chief executive of Optical Rooms and Don, welcome to Connected. Thanks, Emmett. Appreciate it. So, Don, I'm going to mention a bit what the gadget is first, then I'm going to ask you a little bit about optical rooms. So, Don sent me this uh, monitor. Now, it's not a monitor in the computer monitor sense. It's in, it was a device that monitors uh, from Vivior. And basically, I wear glasses, as many of you will probably know, and stuck it on my glasses. And for about 36, 38 hours, I think it was in total, it monitored how I used screens, which, when you think about it, the way we're working right now is kind of interesting because, obviously, we're in different work environments, well, most of us anyway, to what we would normally be so that means the lighting the setting everything is pretty different so don i suppose before i get to you asking about the gadget where did optical rooms itself come from well i set the company up in uh, 2012 when i suppose we were looking at the the future of where we felt the industry was going to go we were we had a couple of practices down in Kerry and cork and we sold those businesses off and my wife's the co-director and uh we decided, well, where's the future in the, in the industry? We felt the future very much would be in the corporate space and online. So we were looking at wellness centers in the corporate settings, and we knew optometry would be required within those settings. So we went to that market. It was quite immature at that, even though it's not that long ago. So we went towards the larger companies, and, and some of the U.S. companies were quite open to it, and, and they were already running them in their own countries. So we got into different of the really the large blue tech U.S. companies were the first to adopt it. And then we started doing it for the healthcare companies. So the VHIs, and those companies that might have a healthcare policy where there was an optical plan and that, we would go on site and deliver the service and really bring the service up to a standard that was never seen before on site. So we were bringing in the machinery to do, you know, tonometry and we were doing the full eye exams and we were bringing on the selection of kind of nice range of glasses and stuff like that. So it was an end-to-end solution. And uh, it was hugely adopted by the companies and hugely appreciated by employees. There was a time-saving element, there was a convenience element. So it worked really well for us, we'd say pre-COVID anyway, and, and, it, and it went off a cliff in March, we'll say. Yeah, well, life changed for all of us in March. And for you in particular, is one person worth noting out, because you run the business from Madrid. Now, obviously, the nature of running your company meant you were over and back to Ireland from Madrid. But right now, you're having to do it all from, you know, that snowy town as it was to start of the month, of course. Uh, not normally associated with it, but uh, what's it been like running the company remotely from there? Well, very interesting, really. I mean, huge learnings for me um, online, because obviously, Obviously, I would be clinically based with patients every day up to this point, we'll say, or up to March. So for me, a huge emphasis went on to the e-commerce side of the business, which we enjoyed huge growth in last year. And I think it was a year at most people with any kind of an online business would have. And then looking with regards to the corporate side of it and reaching out and looking for solutions around, uh, you know, what was duty of care for company? How are they engaging with their employees at home? And that's when we came across the monitor. So we, we, we saw this monitor, which was introduced to us for our clinical practices. And then we said, well, really, we saw this working for ergonomics. So we worked with the company and, and they developed their ergonomic side of it. Uh, and we, we, we'll discuss that perhaps when you want to discuss the report. 
But it gave us a lot more detail than just what the visual demands were for patients. So that's when we started to look at more options than remotely. And we looked at where's the biggest need for companies. We'll say they have 90% of their staff are working at home, if not 100%. And we'll be saying, well, they haven't been able to engage with them, the VDU screening and all those other problems with desks and setups and that. So we felt this fitted in fantastically with what people need. And so far, yeah, that has been the case. Anyone who's heard about it is very impressed. And that's why we, we, we were delighted that you would, you would trial it. So it's like a little cigarette lighter that attaches to your glass. It is so small. It's tiny and, it, and it, it doesn't have a camera, it doesn't have a mic. So that what you're working on is completely secure and the data is encrypted when, it, when we receive it back. But basically it works on a gyroscope and accelerometer and, and it's measuring your distance from the task. It's measuring your head movement, the ambient lighting, and maybe your break from tasks. So when your head moves and you look away from the monitor, and these are really crucial data for us to know really what what's the visual challenge for the patient or if you were prescribing a lens what type of lens would you prescribe for them etc so it was a huge kind of guidance for us to understand what was happening in somebody's home environment and they may not be at their desk as you well know they could be working from their couch kitchen table so there's so many variations in in the home workstations that we couldn't really ever assess one lens to do all jobs. So this was a great tool for that that it records over a 36 hour period and people tend to you know, get into a routine and a normality of, of their life. They might be aware of it for the first while and you might confirm that. After a while, you forget you have it on, particularly if you're a glasses wearer already. As someone who's been wearing glasses since I was 22, and I'm a lot older than 22 now, it's definitely a different experience, uh, you know, because I got used to it rather quickly. Obviously, if you've never worn glasses before, I can't say what it's like with that. Uh, you know, this is like sort of like people writing about GameStop at the moment. We're not investing investment advisors. Uh, likewise, I can't advise those who are not uh, four-eyed. So I'm going to talk a bit about my own experience with it, and then also about the amount of data it was able to generate and find as well, which was really quite remarkable to me when Don sent me back the report. So basically, Don sent me this out, and I was wearing it at different stages over a couple of weeks. Now, oddly, where Don is seeing me now, because we're doing this over Zoom, is not my main workspace. I moved actually for today, so because it's better light, Don, I want to make sure you can see me. And so it noticed so much stuff, but in terms of the habits, so you slot it onto the glasses, and now basically I just would slide it off when I was going to bed, basically so I could put it back into recharge. It would last about a day's usage, you know, and then it would need to recharge. So the overnight charge, absolutely fine. So over about a week's worth of uh, work, basically, it was really following me around, and also not just when I was sitting down, but obviously everywhere else I went. It was kind of funny when I went into shops because they would notice it and I'd forget it was on my face. But so in terms of comfort, it was totally fine and it slid on great. But like I was saying, like you were saying, Don, you know, the you know, it's it's quite secure, but also it's no cameras but what it does find despite having no cameras was really jumped out to me because i'm obviously giving away some of my own details here folks personal data but it's stuff that i feel safe giving away is how i'm putting it and i can gdpr myself as i put it so it was really good at noticing things that i knew i did so for example the distance i was typically for my laptop said about half a meter which was pretty much spot on where i typically sit in relation to my laptop you know stuff like you know how often i uh, you know would take a break from the screen that every 11 minutes given how often my phone goes off that's pretty accurate to be honest about it and I guess there's a reason it's face down whenever we record this show and other stuff as well like which was really noticing you know my lack of head movement which is apparently terrible which does explain why I've had so many cricks in my neck whenever doing the work zoom so and that's only a sample like I got this great report very detailed back but also very easy to understand so Don like when you were first testing this out and obviously you can ask me a bit about my own stuff as well if you want were you surprised by just how much it was able to do no, exactly. Like the background to that monitor actually was, it was originally designed for ophthalmologists who were trying to establish the best interocular implant 
to do for cataract patients. So oh, wow. prior to the operation, this is where the, the, the monitor was used for. So you would send off the elderly gentleman, the elderly lady, whoever it was, pre-cataract operation, and then you would monitor their usage and you'd say, well, listen, this is an outdoorsy guy or he's a gardener or she loves to read or whatever the case would be. So with the data they receive back, they would then select the most appropriate interocular implant. And particularly if it was going to be a very focal implant or there was complications around what type of lens to go for, this would be a huge guide in, in just increasing your, your outcomes. So then we looked at it and then they were brought into the optometry market and they say, well, this would be good for selecting very focals in the clinic or people with lifestyle issues. And when we were introduced with it, the first thing we saw in it was for the ergonomic side of it because of all the different variables that it gives us. So just regard to your report, we would look and say, well, what is, what is it measuring? It's measuring the distance that you work from your screen. It measures the ambient lighting in the room you're working in. It measures the amount of blue light coming from the devices you're using, various devices. It measures it from all of them. And then it measures your head posture. Now, it wouldn't tell you an ergonomics assessment for somebody's seating position or your lower back, or but certainly head and neck it does because it's mounted to your glasses. And incidentally, if you, if you didn't wear glasses, we would in the pack, it comes with a frame uh, and people can wear them with clear lenses. So Obviously, the wearable needs to be mounted on something. So if there's a, cla a glasses wear, no problem. If there are non-glasses wear, we supply the frame with them. So the monitor would give us time. Then by the head movement, we would know, would well, the person looked away? Or, so it's what we call a break from task. And our eyes are not designed to stay fixed at a fixed distance. And that's the biggest issue we causes people eye strain. And, you know, 10, 12 hours of working at something at a fixed distance from you is totally not suitable for how we were developed. So we were hunter-gatherers originally, and our eyes were scanning and looking around us. And they say, if, if your leg muscle was to do what your eye muscle did every day, you'd walk 50 miles. <laughs> so it's, they show you the amount of accommodative effort everybody makes. But unfortunately, when you're at the desk, you don't do that. You know, you get engrossed in what you're doing. Your desktop is at a fixed distance, even your laptop is probably in a comfortable position on your lap or somewhere lower. But certainly you tend not to look away that often. So you know this rule that, that has become quite ubiquitous now. It's a 20-20-20 rule. You look 20 every 20 minutes. You look 20 feet away for 20 seconds. And the idea is you break the accommodative effort that everybody has to induce to see something at near. It very often improves your blink rate as well because dry eye uh, is a big issue with people now. At home. Oh, absolutely. It's huge. It's a huge. In the past, when we started in clinic first, dry eye was rarely mentioned. You, know, you might have assessment of suitability for contact lens where you'd assess it or if you had maybe some ladies who were expecting would have reduced tear film menopausal women would have tear film but outside of that really you had nobody now it's like 49 percent of young adults would have dry eye so it's it's uh it's pretty amazing now it's interesting as well though within that you mentioned the light part because i think that's one of the things where we subconsciously wouldn't have noticed it even never mind consciously not noticing it is that like the light in your office, anyone's office, just to be clear, anyone's normal workplace is typically quite different to the home because most of us would have like, you know, somewhat dimmer homes than workplaces because workplaces are often deliberately quite bright. You know, if you go to the extremes, you're talking like your Tesco, your Dunn stores level of brightness, but even a regular office, like I'm thinking of where, you know, Business Post is based in, in the Marion Centre as it happens. So it is actually beside a supermarket. But where we're based, it's so much brighter, both in terms of the natural light coming in through the sheer amount of windows, but also through sort of the, the looks basically of the lights we have. So I was used in my working environment to being in a much brighter place to, well, home. And even thinking of sort of, you know, the room I'm normally in my bedroom versus the living room that I'm in now, the amount of natural light the living room can get in is obviously way vaster than the bedroom, which only has one small window. And likewise, there's different sort of impacts of, you know, the way the light bulbs work. So obviously when you think about it but most people don't even think about it even at the sub level you know 
it's going to be a change and you're going to have to adapt. And that's one of the things I suppose we wouldn't have thought of, you know, but this thing can help detect. And, and the importance around it, Emmett, is, is why is the ambient lighting important? Well, it, it's to do with your, your visual function. So if you're, if you're surrounded by a dim room and you have a bright monitor, that gives quite a strain to the eye. So that's why we try to encourage patients to have an almost equal illuminance between their background lighting and their computer. So it's all about, you know, everybody's saying they're working longer hours when they're at home, et cetera, et cetera. And this is part of trying to get them more comfortable. So we look at the positioning of their monitor, their lighting, and we're saying, listen, this is all we're trying to do is stack the odds in your favor that you work comfortably, work perhaps more productively. You know, you walk away from your work and you're able to sit down and enjoy a Netflix series or whatever you do in your free time, most likely it's going to be monitor again you're going to be using of some type so it's all about us maximizing and taking into allowance listen you have to work and we all have to work etc so you're you're allowing for that and then you're just saying listen we're stacking everything in your favor now to 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 work at the best you can work at i mean your report showed we were wondering where you're working by candlelight and if you were 53 (laughs) lux we said we need to get electricity to this man but it, it, it's, it's, uh, it was very low. So they're usually between three and 500 lux is what we, an office, like, as you were describing, bright office space. So we would encourage you, one of the parts of the report I sent you was, listen, try and improve that and you'll find that it, it will help overall. We looked at the head posture, you mentioned that, and it gives two, two movements. First is your flexion, your, your forward and backward movement of your head, and then lateral bend, left to right. And you were heavily skewed to the right side. You were 71% skewing to the right side, which very often just, whether it be a neck issue or a visual issue or whatever, you would have that as your most comfortable default positioning. And we would say to you, your head motion gave us a percentage of only 4%. And that's an average. So we look at thousands of people that have used the monitor and say, what's the average kind of movement we'd expect? Whereas you'd be in the 4% category, which would be extremely low. Statuesque, basically. Yeah, well, the downside to that is just tar- you know, your, your muscles just get seized up, you know. So you want movement, you, you know, you want right posture, particularly the less, least strain on the neck muscles as possible. And that's kind of one of the things the monitor is giving us we never expected from it. And again, that's one of those things where when I was reading that back, I was able to think of, well, what is it that I'm doing? And so naturally, again, I'm in a different chair to where I am in the office it's a very different type of office chair now i'm lucky that i have a real office chair in my room but i'm not moving around as much because you know naturally you've got a bit more space a bit more freedom and you're going to naturally move around where there is this more cramped situation in my in my home office but also i was thinking well the right bit and it took me a while to work it out but it got there so those of you who don't know uh, i bought a bed from mattress mick before christmas it's huge it's great problem is it's huge it's great so that's actually made me move a little bit more in terms of where i sit in the office, in the home office, because uh, it's also my bedroom. And so I was just thinking, hang on, that's actually what it is. So I've adjusted where I positioned the chair now, so I'm at a different angle, so that essentially that movement is a bit more natural. Because I basically was still sitting, this, facing the same way, basically, I was, when there was an extra six, eight inches to my left that hadn't been there. So naturally, suddenly, it's, it's a case of there's all this sort of, you know, well, sort of stickiness, basically, in my movement. But again, I wouldn't have thought about what was causing it until I saw this report come back. And this was part, again, it really just had to be done as you're doing all this without a camera. You know, it's entirely, you know, sensor-based, basically. You mentioned gyroscope and the likes. How are you finding this in terms of selling it on? Because I'm guessing a lot of people, you know, when they can see reports like this, are very interested in finding ways to use it, especially given the way we're all currently working. Exactly. Well, we've kind of adapted a little bit, Emmett, because we've looked at the monitor, and the monitor is a very inexpensive ergonomic assessment, if you want to call it that. 
but we looked at it and said, well, would it be better for companies if they have, you know, two or 300 or 400 employees to do a, a remote VDU screening first? So what we do now is we do a remote VDU screening. It's a live 10 minutes, one-to-one with the optom on a Zoom chat. And in that, we bring them through a series of tests. And therefore, tests we can do remotely. I mean, it's not a full eye exam, but it is a VDU assessment. And what we do then, we go back to the company and say, listen, out of the 200 we screened, uh, we, we're going to cherry pick maybe six or eight that we feel further investigation would be uh, beneficial for them. And these are our monitor clients. So you go into the place, you're not sending monitors to people that have really no need for them. They're completely symptomless. Uh, So we're going to the people that would benefit from that and further investigation would really help us come up with a better solution for them. So that's kind of where where the monitor has fitted for us now in, in practice, in reality. And I'm guessing, though, throughout all this, because of the nature of the clients you have, it's been a challenge for them working out what they need. So what have those conversations been like? Because these are people who are used to all the staff, by and large, being in one place. Now they're not. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's tricky for them. The HR, the HR departments in a lot of those companies are finding it extremely difficult to, to meet their duty of care, the whole training around, you know, best practices at home. And we include a little bit of that when we when we do reports to, uh, so at the end of each VDU assessment, we send the employee a VDU report and it's kind of, oh, you, you, you know, what you have is sufficient for meeting the standard or you need an upgrade in your spec. And we'll have all the outcomes, we'll have a referral pathway to their optom and say, listen, you're overdue a check anyway. And then we compile the report for the, for the HR department afterwards and they can see the outcomes. It gives them a better stats around what's the generality, what are the common thread through all of these employees. But for the employee themselves, it gives them a great insight. Like you said, we could have to do with lighting, head positioning, stuff that they would never have known really from home. So obviously VDU is screening and ergonomics assessment were quite easy to do when people were office-based. And now it's a real challenge. So it was the first monitor we ever came across. And to my knowledge, the only one that's out there that offers way more than just visual function. You're talking posture, talking lighting. The blue light, it actually measures the amount of blue light exposure you have. So if somebody has... You know, yours wasn't particularly high, actually, and uh, yours were at 55%. But people are very aware of blue light, and they're very aware of the amount of time they're spending on monitor. And they're looking for solutions to that, to lessen the potential damage. They're aware there's something going on with blue light. What's it about? Well, basically, three things, really. One is it causes increased eye strain. The second thing is it it potentially will cause damage long-term to the back of the eye. The jury's a little bit out on that. But with regards to research, we feel... Blue light has high energy. If it's falling on the back of the eye, will it cause accelerated aging? And we see macular degeneration much earlier. Normally, we see it now in the 70s and the 80-year-olds. But with the amount of blue light falling to the back of the eye, we kind of potentially start to see that in people in their 60s and maybe their 50s. So people are concerned about that. And the last thing is then, with regards to sleep patterns, they know about melatonin and they, they some idea of what's happening with blue light. Well, blue light suppresses melatonin release. So if you're using your monitor, you're reading on a tablet at nighttime, your, your ability to power down and to get ready for sleep is, is jeopardized and it's kicked further down the road. So therefore, you might go to bed later. You might have a less deep sleep. You don't go into the deep sleep as soon. So they're saying, don't use your monitor before you go to sleep. But there are ways of reducing the amount of blue light. You, know, you, can, you can change the, the amount of luminance coming from your device. You can wear blue filter glasses, like I suggest to you. Maybe you can get a pair of blue light. There's re- reflecting, reduce the amount of blue light that enters the eye. 
And then there's filters you put on the, on the monitor or on your phone. So people are aware of that and they like to get a read on it. What, what is my exposure to blue light? And this gives it. And yeah, one thing I've also got, we've got to mention before we get to the, to, to the closing stage of this, because you mentioned as well, it's secure. So for those who are thinking, this is something I want to look at or want to work with you before we get into the whole plugging your pluggables, that's, that's a minute or two away yet, Don. But explain to them why, because this is one of the other things I had to be make sure when I was talking to Don before. And this is all going to be safe, right? Because I'm a journalist. Like some of the stuff I, I write, I'd rather Don didn't read it, basically. So, you know, it's like, so Don, like, you know, uh, explain, like, you know, how people can feel safe using this, basically. Well, exactly. There, there isn't any any camera and there's no microphone on it. So it has no way of recording what you're doing. It's giving you really, it's using lasers for distance. It's using gyroscope for head positioning. So it doesn't have any way of recording that. And, and even the data, when we do plug in the monitor, it goes to you namelessly, it returns to us, it's encrypted. And then we plug the data with your name, etc. So it's completely safe for the data that we're getting. And, and obviously your, your data is completely safe because we don't see that either. Obviously it's not recorded in any shape or form. So it's 100% safe for in that regard. Because I know a lot of our listeners are definitely corporate types. They want to go, listen, this guy sounds interesting, but do I want to work with him? So that'll reassure a lot of them. So Don, you know, before before we get you to plug your plug balls, I've just got to ask what life has been like in Madrid because I know this is the first time we've had someone in, in Madrid on the show, but also more importantly, the first time we've had someone in Madrid on since it had snow. Because I, I know Madrid is the one place where the summer wind actually warms you up because it's so blue. Hot. So what's it been like seeing snow in Madrid? Like, it's go completely off topic, but that's the way we go in this show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I'll tell you, interestingly, we, we were living in Kerry down in Killarney and we decided to take it, you know, a little bit of time out and give, we'd four small boys at the time. We said, well, it wouldn't be great if they had another language and let's just go over there. And uh, we tried everything in, in Ireland with au pairs and nannies and stuff. Like that. We couldn't get any of the Spanish speaking people to speak Spanish. So we said, we'll go to Spain and we put the boys into, put them in a the deep end, into school they went. And uh, it was the first time we saw snow because that was the last time Madrid got a heavy fall with 2009. And uh, the kids were blown away, never saw snow in Ireland. And now you go to Spain and you find you're surrounded with snow. And again, last, maybe two weeks ago now, we were knee deep in snow. It was traffic was ground to halt. Uh, and it was just an amazing, it's an amazing vista to see Madrid covered in that heavy a fall. And it took because they're not used to snow, obviously. They didn't course, have yeah. the machinery to, to clear the roads. And there was a huge amount of trees that fell because they, they were laden with snow and branches breaking off, trees falling down. It was like, uh, it was carnage in the village, or in the village, I was going to say, in the city for for uh, about 10 days. You can tell Don has still got the carry in his mind when he's calling Madrid a village. So Don, for people who want to find out more about optical rooms and the work y'all are doing, where, what's the best place for them to go online? Yeah, well, the name opticalrooms.ie and uh, inputopticalrooms.com is our, is our email address. But if they go on there, they can, there's a couple of short videos there. If you look at the services, so if you're interested in video screening for your staff remotely, that would be a good one. There's a short video on that. The monitor, the monitor does and how it records it and the reports a sample of, etc. And that's on there as well. So opticalrooms.ie is, is the website. And then feel free to contact us directly to discuss your needs. I mean, we, we're pretty used to doing the corporate work and we can adapt really to whatever people need, you know, big or small companies. We're, we're dealing with large companies, like I say, the blue chips, right down to the small companies, you know. Don Stack, thanks very much for joining us in the show. And before I wrap up, a few of you will have noticed during this that I mentioned I started wearing glasses at 22 and that I, it's a long time since I was 22. And a few of you are probably thinking, that's a bit old to be starting wearing glasses for being short-sighted. And you're right, but when it happened, it meant I was able to discover something that I had been too cynical about Superman all the years. Because I always thought, come on, that disguise is terrible. All he's doing is wearing glasses. The number 
were people who knew me who did not recognize me once I had glasses on. And this is like repeatedly, by the way, it wasn't just a one time on the street for weeks and months afterwards. It was absolutely ludicrous. So my apologies to the writers of Superman to DC for having doubted them all those years ago as a, as a young man. Turns out glasses are a perfectly good disguise if no one's seen you with specs on before. And on that note, as always, it's time to thank our sponsors, Dell Technologies Ireland, who've been with us since day one and it's great to have their support. Connected is produced by Jacko Kennedy and the best way to stay in touch with us is to get on touch with me on Twitter, Emmett J. Ryan is the handle, and until next time, I'll keep being Emmett Ryan. Thank you.